You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Thank you. Test one, two. Are we on? We just double check here. We're good? Yes, very good. Uh, pray for me to be on Ryan, what he calls a wise counsel. It's hard work. I'm, uh, that guy, anyway, I love Ryan. I really do. I love getting together with him regularly. And uh, every time I show up here on campus, something great <clears throat> is happening or has changed. And just, you're in a great church. So keep going. Invite your friends. This is a place where uh, you don't ever have to be nervous inviting somebody, inviting somebody who's far from God, who's unchurched, whatever, because you come onto this campus and they'll be excited about what they see, what they experience. And, and so keep inviting, keep reaching out. We need more of that in the world. Keep loving the people around you. Uh, so Ryan's gone and you get some lame pastor up here, literally. Uh, I'm in the middle just to, get, just to get it out of the way so it's not distracting. I don't want to spend much time on it. I'm in the middle of a two-part surgery process of a total left ankle replacement. And so uh, Tuesday, I go in for my final surgery. I didn't know they replaced ankles. I know hips and knees. And so uh, if you want to see some gory pictures, I've got it on my phone. My foot, when it's all said and done, is going to look like Frankenstein. It is crazy what they do. So anyway, excited. Just old basketball injuries back from the day. Back in the 1900s, they didn't have sports medicine like we do today, right? And so when you got hurt, you just stuck it. I grew up in the middle of uh, Midwest in Kansas. When, when you got hurt, when you twisted an ankle, you went out and got a bucket of snow, put water in it, iced it, taped it back up, and got back out on the court. And how's that working for me today, right? And so anyway, um, just to knock some nerves off of me, I've been preaching for 31 years and I still get nervous. And I suppose the day where I'm not, I don't, I'll be disqualified to be up here. So y'all have me nervous this morning. I don't know why. Let me pray, knock off some nerves. And I think we're going to cover some material. I came up with three acronyms that, that help us identify pain that we're going through or a trial that we're going through. I don't know about you, but there's pain and trials. Sometimes life's brutal, right? And a lot of people can get flowery and some people that I call are overly over-the-top churchy will say, oh, life is always just so wonderful. And I'm like, your life's different than mine. It's a tough life. And so anyway, we're going to talk about it. My prayer is by the time you're done today, uh, when you're going through a trial, you'll be able to identify, is it a sit, a mat, or a pit? But let's pray first and get into that. Father in heaven, thank you for this group of believers and maybe even people in here who are not yet believers, who are here today, that make up what you, what we call the church. It's not this property. It's not this building. It's the people. So I thank you that North Valley is such a great church, amazing people. And uh, we just pause as we gather here as your church inside these walls, just to say thank you for how good you are even in the middle of trials and pain and what can often be a brutal world, we just want to say thank you that you're always good and that, Jesus, you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords and will be for eternity. And you declare us your children, your followers, your masterpiece. And so I pray, God, these next few moments we have together that uh, we would learn some things that when we walk out of here will be better than we were than when we came in. And that's all to your glory. Jesus, it's for you. And uh, 
I just pause again with such gratitude and thankfulness for who you are in all of our lives. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. So the, the message today is called The Struggle is Real. And I want to talk about the good and the bad types of pain. And I'm going to reference on occasion the book of Exodus. Uh, if you haven't read Exodus, the book of Exodus in a long time, it's amazing. You can go uh, rent the movies if you want to do the short version, you know, and uh, cheat a little, but you're not going to get the scripture and the details of it. But the book of Exodus really is a story about, and I'll say this maybe a little bit later, when, when the Israelites leave Egypt finally, after the 10th plague, if you're familiar with this story, uh, after the death of all the firstborn of Pharaoh and, and all of the Egyptians, when they leave, it only took God one day to get them out of Egypt on that day, right? And it was supposed to be for the people that left Egypt, for the Israelites, it was supposed to be a 12-day walk to the, Holy, to the Holy Land, to the Promised Land. Supposed to be a 12-day walk. And it took them, for those of you who are trivia, how long did it take them to finally get there? 40 years. It took God one day to get them out of Egypt, but it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Israel. Following that? And so that's what I want to talk about today is pain in your life. And we live in a society in a world where easier is better, where the less pain is better, and it's just not true. You could read in the beginning of the book of James where he basically says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials, temptations, uh, problems of all kinds, for that is what will build character into us. So I want to walk us through a process, the good, the bad, the types of pain, and you'll hear me reference uh, Exodus, Egypt a little bit. Uh, straight up, I confess to you, um, this material, it's, it's an easy hour and a half of material. So I'm going to watch the clock, and when we get at 35, which I need to get to rolling because I've already used up five, uh, I'm just going to stop. So I'm going to cover it, it to preface quickly. If you forget everything that I talk about by Tuesday, as most people do, right? It's really discouraging as a pastor or preachers. <laughs> we get up here week after week after week, and usually by Tuesday, everything's forgotten. And so I, I, if anything, I've tried to uh, summarize the three types of pain. Sit, mat, pit. Three letters each. We'll, we'll cover those in detail. And remember those, if anything else. And then as I go through some other stuff, they're just going to be a few little gold nuggets for you to maybe hang on to that you'll forget by Tuesday. But don't forget the sit, the mat, and the pit. All right? So listen. Pain. Pain can be God-activated. God, wouldn't you agree? God can bring pain in your life if he wants. And that still makes him a, a good God. If you're a good parent, there are times where you will bring pain into your children's lives, right? All right, in different forms. Uh, pain can be God-activated or it can be self-triggered. And so I want us to learn the difference according to what I think are biblical examples in Scripture of what different kinds of pain are. Let me go deep with you for a second. This is deep to me anyway. There's two kinds of, of evil. There's two kinds of evil. There might be more, but I want us to focus on today two kinds. The first one is just tragedy. Going down I-17, somebody falls asleep, 
There's a car accident, you lose some loved ones. It's a tragedy, it's a form of evil, but it's not the worst kind of evil. That's just living in a cursed, fallen world since Adam and Eve from the beginning chose to disobey God and it brought a curse upon our world and we still live in that cursed world. It's just a reality and it will remain under the curse until Jesus returns and makes even Lucifer take a knee and confess Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And until then, there are just going to be some bad things, evil, tragedy that happens. The worst kind of evil is, is a word we don't use very often in our culture. Disney has a movie named after malevolence. Malevolence. What is malevolence when you think of evil? Malevolence is this. It's intentional ill will. It's intentional premeditated spite and hatred to try to destroy your life. It's betrayal that is premeditated. And most betrayal is malevolent. It's very rare to accidentally betray somebody. Pause and think on that. Betrayal wounds, betrayal hurts. Betrayal and malevolence can lead. It's one of the greatest tactics I believe the devil uses. He doesn't have to get involved so much. He finds empty souls that are searching and trying to fill a void, and he consumes it with covetousness, unforgiveness, bitterness, pride. And then people will go out, and all of us on occasion, if we're not careful, can be malevolent. It's dangerous as a follower of Christ to be malevolent. We shouldn't be because it's premeditated. But I have rarely seen betrayal be accidental. It's just, it's kind of like this. If it feels accidental, you're just thinking of the day it happened but a ship begins to sink the first drop that enters. Even though it hasn't, it hasn't gone under, a ship begins to sink at its first drop. And if you're in the habit, none of us in this room would ever say, I want to be malevolent. But it's drip, 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 drip. Stay out of scripture. Stay away from church. Stay away from good people. I heard a phrase the other day, uh, a quote. The guy said, show me the five people in your life that you spend the most time with, and I'll show you who you are. You're an average of those five people. Think on that. Don't surround yourself with malevolent people. You will become malevolent yourself. And so there's tragedy and there's malevolence. Hang on to that as we go through this. So here's the three kinds of pains. First, sit. It's an acronym. It stands for self-inflicted trial. The second one is MAT, and I'll get into the details in a minute, is maturity anticipated trial, mat, maturity, anticipated trial, self-inflicted. Anybody ever stuck your foot in your mouth? Self-inflicted idiocy, you know, maturity anticipated usually means God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. And I'll get into some details on that in a minute. And the last one is a pit, punishment intended trial. Nobody wants to be there. God's got a hand in that one. But anyway, we'll, we'll, let's get into those. So sit. The self-inflicted trial, most common pain, uh, form of tragedy that we have in our life. Self-inflicted, it means God has given permission for us to be stupid, right? And if, if, if you're really humble and authentic, you will agree with me that you've had times in your life where you're really stupid. Raise of hands. And if you don't raise your hand, we shall dogpile you, cause you to cuss, sound stupid, and then you will join the rest of us, right? 
self-inflicted trial. Man, there's a lot of those in my life. They tend to be moments of passion and action, not thinking. Self-inflicted trials aren't premeditated. I can't imagine anybody sitting down and going, okay, what can I do to really screw up my life today? Let's premeditate this. This is just drip, 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 stupidity, flesh, the curse of the world, uh, getting caught up in things. The flesh is screaming at us. Listen to Jeremiah 7, verse 15, as it talks about self-inflicted trial. God says this, but, I am, but am I the one they are provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? You know, when a self-inflicted trial is really not something you do against God, it often it encompasses other people, but it really is just self-inflicted wound and you're only making a fool out of yourself. And, and this foolishness that we so easily can swim in, and I can as well, it, it's a, it, it has a good side to it. If you're a follower of Christ and you can do what a self-inflicted trial is supposed to lead you to, there's a solution to it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But foolishness really is simply learning through the school of hard knocks. It's an, it's an expensive education. Don't waste it, right? It's way more expensive than going and spending $100,000 at Grand Canyon University or somewhere else. When you have self-inflicted trials, you are educating yourself how to not be so stupider, right? Right? Foolishness. Good judgment, when you get there, good judgment, we all have windows and peaks of good judgment. Good judgment is the product of many poor judgments just corrected. Good judgment is a product of a bunch of poor judgments that we corrected. So how do we correct sit self-inflicted trials? Well, the word alone tells us what to do. There'll be a picture of a chair that should hop up behind me here. I don't agree with Pascal here in his full sentence, but I just like the image and we can make this image work. All men's miseries, and let's include girls into this, women into this too, all right? All people's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. That's not fully true, but there is some great gold there. There is partial truth in that. <clears throat> when, you're <clears throat> when you're going through a sit trial, self-inflicted, what's the best thing to do? Stop first. Stop being dumb. Maybe go find a quiet place. We live in the, uh, the valley, and within a 15-minute drive, you can be in cliffs and mountains and boulders and rivers. And I think most people that live in the big cities, I grew up on a, on a big farm and just had way too much quiet. I live now in a great big city and have very little quiet. I have to make quiet happen. And if you can get away, get into nature, take your Bible, and dedicate, I kid you not, at least two hours. In the big city, with all the self-inflicted trial we're causing in our own lives, when you go find a quiet place and you only take 30 minutes, you never gave your, your brain a chance to wind down. It's still going, it takes an hour for you to sit out there and kind of go, whoa, what's that sound? That's the sound of silence. Now, all of a sudden, you can begin to hear some of your thoughts. You can hear God come in and whisper, hey, you're better than that. That self-inflicted trial you're doing, stop it. Why are you doing it? Do you really think it's to your advantage? You can begin to hear the word of God and, and be very careful thinking you're hearing the word of God and you're never in the word of God. 
That's where you hear God's voice best. It's very rare where you'll audibly or internally hear his voice. The devil can trick you in that. He says he's disguised as an angel of light, the devil. So the word of God, the devil can't get into that. He can't alter that. You've got to spend time in the Bible. So if you're in a self-inflicted trial, get away. Stop the action. Stop the dumb. Stop the stupidity. I'll just call it what it is, and I mean that upon myself as well. And go sit, be still in the word of God. Let's keep going. Matt, maturity anticipated trial. A maturity anticipated trial is originated by God. It could be self-chosen, not self-inflicted. Self-inflicted is a sit trial. Self-chosen means I'm going to fast. You can bring some pain in my life for discipline, right? It means I'm going to uh, take a short-term or a long-term mission trip, and I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to break some of my old traditions and habits. I'm going to mess my life up on purpose a little bit because I know it's going to make me a better person. Maturity anticipated trial. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the one that God will bring upon your life. Because when I say he doesn't care, I don't mean in a cold-hearted way. You just know the phrase, I don't care. I don't mean that cold-hearted way. It's just I'm not interested in messing with that much right now. God doesn't care about our comfort. We live in stinking America. You know, we live in America. It's not stinking. We live in an amazing America. We're absolutely comfortable. And so maturity anticipated trial is God saying, hey, I want to get the most out of you. I think you'll agree with me here that God invented gold, right? What, is, what do we have to do with gold to make it more pure, to mature it? We refine it, meaning you cook it down, heat it up. If gold could speak, it would be like, what? Stop it, right? It's pain. If God invented iron ore, What's it got to become, what's it got to go through to become steel, to become a sword that's sharpened on both? Think of the process. If that steel could speak, it would be whining and crying and moaning and screaming in pain as we turn it into a beautiful, dangerous, amazing weapon that we can wield, right? Gold and a sword and uh, maybe another one. If God created the diamond, What's it got to go through to become what it does? And then into the hands of man, it's got to be cut. It's got to be polished. If that diamond could speak, it would be complaining a lot while it's becoming absolutely beautiful and amazing. So if God created the gold and if God created the iron ore that becomes a, a sword and if God created the diamond, he's also the creator of you and me. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God takes those things through the fire to help them become better, what's God going to use in your life to help you become better? Pain, refinement, you know, some aches, some discipline. And, and so many of us in a Western in American culture, we're like, no, we don't want any pain in our lives to our own detriment. If you don't face the pain of discipline and the pain of God bringing maturity anticipated trials upon our life, all you leave for yourself is the pain of consequences. If you go to the gym and work out regularly, that is the pain of discipline. If you don't go to the gym, work out regularly, and, or, and, and over on this side, eat healthy, it's the pain of discipline. 
If you don't, you have the pain of consequences. And this pain, believe it or not, is way worse. It's way worse. You have the pain of, of, of I should have been disciplined. Take care of the ankle. Make sure it's healed before I selfishly get back out on the court because I was that good. I just had to be on the court, right? Dumb, selfish, and I didn't mature it. So now I'm facing the pain of consequences. It's expensive. The first 10 days after surgery, just shoot me now. Brutal, brutal. Pain of discipline, pain of consequences. Listen to the book of James. I already mentioned this, but let's read it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters of North Valley, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Oh, James, I used to think he was just nuts. And as I get older, he makes more and more sense to me. He makes more and more sense. Trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. It's such a gift. You ever come across people that just have deep perseverance? You're just like, how do they keep doing it? It just seems like they're getting their butt kicked all the time. But look at their, their positive, their attitude. They just rebuild. They just, it's inspiring perseverance. And then let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sit down, reflect, ponder, you know, is part of the sit, but a mat takes it to the next level. But go ahead and show the picture of what, it, what should I do in a mat situation. This is different. This is going a little bit deeper than sitting in a chair and reflecting. This is us in the face of God going, what would you have me do now, Lord? I'm not sure I caused this trial in my life. What are you doing to me? What do you want me to become? And we'll end the service here in just a few moments with three questions to ask when you're in a sit, when you're in a mat, and when you're in a pit. So I don't want to get there yet. Listen to, keep this picture up. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience but I want to be special. No, you don't. You really don't, especially when it comes to pain. And sometimes you have this pain and this, just the brutalness of life ravaging around you and you're like, why me, God? Well, according to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the temptations in your life, the trials, the pains, they're no different from what others experience. And God's faithful. He'll not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I love that passage. My sons and I tattooed it onto the in, inner part of our, 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 our finger. Just 1013 as a reminder. Though in the face of temptation, the temptation of pornography, the temptation to get angry at somebody when they're in your face and treating you wrong, the temptation, you pick whatever your vice is that the devil or your flesh likes to grab and think it brings joy into your life, the Bible says that when it's in our face, God provides a way out if you're looking for it. That's a promise in Scripture and that it's not a temptation that he expects you to fall into. He knows it's a test in your life that can, he's not tempting you. There's a Bible passage that says, God, we know God will test us. That's very different than God tempting us to sin. God would never tempt you to sin. He cannot do such a thing. He is the epitome of integrity. Integrity can't cause you temptation to cause you to potentially fall. But God has no problem testing, refining, pushing, challenging, allowing self-inflicted trials, allowing maturity-anticipated trials. 
And so what's the solution? It's, you have the pic- picture behind you, the picture, just get on your knees, get a prayer mat. That could be anything. A prayer mat just means I'm going a little bit lower than sitting in a comfortable chair. I'm laying, and so the Bible sometimes says, go, go, pros-, I always have to say that very, prostrate, prostrate onto the ground. Some people, have you ever seen somebody in total misery and they, they literally go flat on the ground before the altar? Some people, some churches have that kind of DNA about them. You know that person is going through some, some misery if they've just laid flat. Maybe that's what your mat needs to be. When you know that you're going through trials and pain and you haven't seemed to cause them, but God's going, I believe in you so much, I'm just turning up the refiner's fire a little bit. A good example is Job, right? You want to talk about brutality, the story of Job. We could bring in the life of Peter. We can bring in the life of Paul. They went through all kinds of trials, maturity, anticipated trial. So the third one is pit. Punishment intended trial. And just for the sake of it, let's put the picture up and just let it, just leave it up there for as long as we can. A pit is punishment intended. This is God caused. Because if you're in this situation, you neglected the chair where you, where you needed to go sit. And you've neglected the mat where you need to just lay down and just, just go just flat before the Lord or at least get on your knees and cry mercy. Here I am, Lord, use me, shape me, make me, mold me. I can be better for you, the mat. So why would God put us in this situation? Because number one, we didn't sit, we didn't mat, and so therefore we're still out of control. And he's like, if you will not stop yourself, I'm gonna get you stuck. I am going to stop you. Usually people, sadly, I've prayed many prayers for family members and other people I love deeply. God, take them to their lowest point in life. I beg you not to take their life because it's usually at the lowest point in our life where we begin to get on our knees and look up and say, help, I can't do this on my own anymore. The pit is actually a gift from God. The pit why would he put us in here? Let me, let me go there. If God knows he's about to lose you eternity, in eternity, if God knows you're living your life in such a way that you're separating yourself from him and that you are on the path towards hell for eternity, meaning he loses you, And I remind you, you are described by God as his masterpiece. When an artist has a a showcase, a night, and they show up and they have champagne and everybody gets dressed up and you go walk through the artist's room and all the images and the artwork that he's done and you ooh and ah and, and it's a beautiful thing. He doesn't take his masterpiece and put it off in some dark corner. It's usually the spot, keynote, spot lighted, spot lit, spot lighted image in the whole room, right? You're his masterpiece. And if God knows he's about to lose you, he's not okay with that. And he will, if he's going to lose you, it brings in desperation on God's part, the creator of the sun and the moon and the stars. He will begin to 
wipe you out, crush you, get you stuck in a pit, try to get you to your lowest point because if he doesn't get you to turn around, he's lost you forever. And he's willing to do whatever he can to get you to go, whoa, what am I doing? And that often requires an extreme low point for some of us, you stubborn, stubborn, stubborn people. Have you ever thought about it as a gift that God just is bringing some annihilation into our lives because he knows we're on a path of destruction and he wants us to just come to him and ask for help and humble ourselves. Listen to 1 John 1, 9. Let me get Revelation 3, 19 first. God says, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. And it's sad that we can be so stubborn that God has to put us in a mud pit, get us stuck. And here's what's crazy. If you're living in sin, you think if you're not careful, you're the one that's actually, it started where you should have just taken, uh, you should have just gone and sat down. Or you should have got down on your knees and onto your mat, but you didn't. So you just slowly, steadily, uh, I hate having this leg. I can't be as dramatic where I, I can't do you know, it. Where, where all of a sudden you have sunk yourself and you're here in the mud and you're like, you're like, ah, this is the life. And you're like swimming in your cesspool of sin. And, and the people that love you and speak truth to you and are willing to say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And we push them away because we think this is the good life as we swim in our cesspool of sin. In fact, we get so used to it, you get around the stink long enough. I grew up on a Kansas farm where we had this 5,000 acres, hogs and sheep and cattle. And I swear my dad just liked to be cruel. Every, every, every night before a dance, I'd get dressed up and he'd say, I need you to go swing by and check on the hogs real quick. And I'm like, I just put on cologne, dummy. Why, why would you? The stink can get on you, but it's fascinating if you get around it long enough, it doesn't smell anymore. Anybody ever had sewer problems where you needed to call in a professional plumber and you stood on the side and watched and you're like 10 feet away and you're like, and he's like, and he's just not even having an issue whatsoever. He's used to it. The stink is gone and he's gotten used to it. We can do that with our sin. And the people around you are like, come, what are you doing? And you're like, no, 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 join me. I'm in my hot tub. This is the life, baby. And everybody around you is like, what's going, why are they doing that to themselves? That is the pit. It's the worst place you can be, but at the same time, it's the best place. If that's what it is, re is required to get you out of it. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. If you're in a pit, what do you do? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So the solution when you're stuck in the pit of sin is stop digging, stop swimming, humbly ask for help, repent and rise up. Repent and rise up. Um, I'm, I'm through my main three points. I'm looking at my time and we're good. I'm just now sifting through some gold nuggets that I think we should hold on to. What is the central difference between sit, mat, and pit? The central difference could be spoken just in the word I. I. Um, I said I was going to relate this to the Exodus. I'm losing a lot. When you read through Exodus, read through thinking sit, mat, and pit. But God used the 10 plagues to 
humble, to crush, refine, to get Pharaoh, to, to get him out of there. Um, there's this phrase that was said all the time. Uh, we say, what's the phrase Moses always said to Pharaoh? Let, but do you know what it says immediately after that? That's only half the sentence that he actually spoke every time he confronted Pharaoh. Let my people go so that they may come out and worship the Lord. So I want to talk briefly about, as we're focusing on the pain in our lives that sometimes is caused by what I think a Western culture behavior, freedom. If you had to, if you were pushed into a corner and had 10 seconds to define freedom, how would you define it? Careful. Freedom often we think is about me, myself, and I. I get to do what I want to do. I live in a free country. This is what I get. I'm free. Let my people go is what freedom would sound like if that's the definition, if he just stopped there. Let my people go from the tyranny of Pharaoh so they may fall under the tyranny of God. Tyranny should not be the right word used there. It's not the right word. But do you see what I'm saying? Let slavery, we hate that word in our culture today, with reason. Bond servant means slavery. They, the, the Bible, I wish the translators, when they use the word slavery, they should have used the word bond servant. You want to do a fun Bible study? Go study bond servant, the perfect definition and description of what a Christian is based out of the Old Testament law. Slavery. Let my people go, free them from the slavery of Pharaoh so they may, be, so they may become bond servants, bond slaves of the Lord Almighty. Freedom does not mean I can go do whatever I want. Freedom means, so a lot of people say, I do whatever I want, I'm free, I live in America. No, that's called slave to self. You and I, whether we like it or not, are slaves to something, to something, and I want to get into that, so i got to keep moving here. Just think with me. So here's the deal. The cost, there's a cost to freedom. I personally believe, this is my definition of freedom. You can ignore it if you want, but you will be wrong. Freedom is when I promote the progress and purpose of you above my own. That's opposite of what's happening in our culture today. This is who I am, and you must declare it. You must believe it. They push it on us. And I'm not talking just one. I'm talking any category. We live in America today where we think freedom is what I want, and you have to believe it, accept it, live in it with me. No. Freedom is when I decide to not promote myself and what I want in life. Jesus says, die to self and pick up your cross. What's my sacrifice? Who's going to be the leader and the tyrant in my life? If it's me, I'm a slave to self. Freedom is when I promote your progress and your purpose and trust God to take care of my own progress and purpose. And I don't live for self, I live to serve. That's freedom. And that's what, man, if we could have an American leader step up and start preaching that. So there's a picture of two images. It might be kind of hard to see on the screen. Two pyramids. I want to hit this quickly. Hierarchy of attention. There's a, there, you have a hierarchy of power in your life of who leads you. Who's at the top of your pyramid? It's real easy for a Christian to say, oh, God is, of course. Oh, God is, of course. You need to answer that question on a sit or on a mat. Or if you have to, you eventually will in a pit. 
Because if the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are not at the pinnacle, as I said, it took God one day to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. They continually had idols, idols. An idol is when something is at the top of your pyramid, and it literally influences every decision you make. And sometimes that can happen just subconsciously. To honor the Lord, the word honor in the Bible could be translated to make heavy. Die to self and pick up your heavy. What's your heavy in your life? Because if your heavy is not the Lord, he is going to sit you, mat you, and pit you until you get so desperate you're at rock bottom where you finally go, you are my heavy. I'm sorry. I've been living all for myself or for something that's mine. And God's like, you own nothing. That's the good life when you basically recognize, I own nothing. God owns it all. And so as you just look at this, uh, there's tension between tyranny and anarchy. This is a whole other message another time. Ask Ryan to have me back if, if you think it is good enough today, please. I'll, I'll come back and we'll keep building on this. I've got to leave that where it's at. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if, you, if you're if people and things, be careful. It's so easy for you as a follower of Christ to think God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are your heavy when they're not. And that's where the Bible says there's safety in, in uh, an advisory of counsel. Who are the five people in your life that you spend the most time with because you're an average of them put together? And you need to surround yourself with people. You can't be answering questions like this all by yourself. You need to surround yourself with people who are, who are integrity and character and love. And they look at you and they're like, you think the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are your heavy? They're not. And you go, you can't judge me. They can judge you if you trust them, if they truly love you. And the people that truly love you will speak the hard truths to you. Stop pushing them away. I've got to wrap this up. So what's God looking for? Give me a minute here. He's looking for, and we'll wrap this up. I'm, I'm in trouble on time. He's looking for humble heroes. I want you to think about that. And I love this. There's a big debate going on in society right now about can women lead, can women serve in, in, under the umbrella of Christianity, can women preach and teach, can women be elders. And it's just ridiculous how we Christians argue and fight over the dumbest things. All right, it's just ridiculous. All throughout the Bible, you want to look for humble heroes. Do a Bible study one time and read when you're reading through the scriptures. Start looking for God, how God used women to intervene and stop the judgment of God and bring about the incredible blessings of God. And men too. Humble heroes are men and women. When I think of humble heroes, there's an image that I, I have a tattoo sleeve I'm working on, this one image. I'm going to do a black and white version of this inside the part that will make me cry because it's so tender. This is Aaron and her and Moses in the battle of the Amalekites. And when Moses did this, he continued to win. Joshua Down would continue to win with the Israelite army. When he'd get tired and his arms would come down, they would begin to lose. So Aaron and her humble heroes with Moses get in. They sit Moses down on some rocks and they, they hold up his arms, the act of worship. The act of being in a sit, a mat, or a pit is here. This is what you do in both of those attitudes. And when you do this, God intervenes.
is in your life and makes you better and makes you incredible. And I love that imagery. So in, in Exodus, Moses, I got to end with this. When Moses, uh, uh, he's answered, they're in the wilderness and he's, he has all day long, he's being the judge. People are coming in with the problems. Well, so-and-so took my clothes or so-and-so stole my money or they, they offended me by saying this. And Moses had to be the judge and there's a million plus Israelites. He asks his, his father-in-law shows up onto the scene and he's like, Moses, what are you doing? You can't handle this pressure. You've got to get some other people around you that help you carry this burden who you spend, the five most people you spend time with determines your sit, mat, and pits in life and whether or not you can get out of them quickly. And here's what the father-in-law said to Moses. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Moses, teach, and this is spoken to us, as followers of Christ, we've got to teach the decrees. Do you know the teachings and commands of Jesus and the instructions? And show, teach and show, them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But you're going to need some help. Four things. Select capable people. People who fear God. People of the truth. And people, is a weird one, hate coveting. When you begin to covet, you begin to desire other people's things. You're not promoting their progress, their purpose. You're beginning to be malevolent when you covet. Why did they get that? Why do they have that kind of joy? You're, you're on the dancing on malevolence. And then appoint them as, as officers or officials or leaders over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and fives. Teach and show you're capable. Do you fear God? Are you a person of the truth? And you hate coveting. When you're going through, here's the last three questions to take home. When you're going through, sit, Matt, Pitt, and the band, anybody else, come on up. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. When you're in a sit, when you're on a mat, or if you're stuck at a pit, ask the same three questions. God, what am I afraid of? This requires a journal. This requires you writing in the, the, the margins of your Bible. Uh, that Bible is meant to be shredded just over use. A Bible falling apart belongs to somebody who isn't, right? And you're writing out, what am I afraid of? And this is not the time to write spiders. I'm asking you to go deep. What am I afraid of in life? What do I fear? Who do I fear? What am I afraid of? Uh, God, second question, what are you trying to teach me? When you're in a sit, when you're a mat, what a beautiful question to ask. What are you trying to teach me here, Lord? You're in a humble position to ask that question and listen and requires the word of God. And, and the last one is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? How shall I behave from this point forward? If I'm on my sit, what am I afraid of? God, what are you trying to teach me? And as I get up out of this chair, how shall I now behave? What is love? God is love. God, what do you require of me? How do I behave? If I'm in a mat, how do I behave from this point forward? If I'm, if I'm in a pit, what do you require of me? Does that make sense? Don't ever forget, sit, mat, pit. And you can get yourself, if you think about them enough, that every time you face a trial, even little ones, a temptation, you can go sit, mat, pit, sit, mat, pit. What does this require? I need to, I need to go sit. I need to take, get on a mat. Or am I in a pit? And ask people for help around you. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.